Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. Um, so we are uh, nearing the end of this sermon series we've been in, looking at 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, and we've called it the Divided Church of Christ because the primary reason Paul wrote this letter is because they're dealing with all these divisions in this community. Now, part of these divisions are over leadership. There's some people who feel superior because their leader is better than another one. Their leader is more wise, or he's a better public speaker or communicator, has a stronger presence. And then there are some other divisions because within these different groups, People feel that they individually are better. They are more spiritually mature than the average Christian. And so instead of working together, this community is spending all their energy like they're on their own individual teams, competing against one another. And so instead of flourishing, this church is fracturing because they're living all of their lives out of this sports team mentality of somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose, and so we want to win no matter what. I think one of the amazing insights when you get into the world of the New Testament is that sometimes, 2,000 years ago, things looked a lot different. Right? The world was very different back then, but there are also ways where the world of the Bible, the people are remarkably similar to the way we act today. And it's easy to see what was happening in Corinth. It's the same thing that's going on in the church today and in politics today. Think about it. We spend so much time focused on our team, on how our team must be better than the other team. And then the goal of this political game is to win over the other team instead of figuring out how to work together. So much of the dysfunction in this world, it comes from this mentality. It's all us or them, win or lose, and nobody really wins in the end. So Paul is dealing with all these divisions in his own context, and then in our reading today, in chapter 3, he starts to talk with the Corinthians using this very direct approach. And I find this reading funny, because whenever you hear people talk about Christian strategies for dealing with conflict, you'll hear things like, remember to always speak the truth in love, Remember to always confront someone with a gentle spirit. Remember always to be humble. And I think all of those things are good. But then when I read Paul reading, writing these letters, I'm not sure that Paul always took that advice to heart. You'll see what I mean when we get to this reading. So I'm going to read from the message translation. This is uh, Eugene Peterson's translation, really brings Paul's attitude to life in this version. So here's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But for right now, friends, I'm completely frustrated by your unspiritual dealings with each other and with God. You're acting like infants in relation to Christ, capable of nothing much more than nursing at the breast. He says literally there, you're not ready for solid food. Well then, I'll nurse you since you don't seem capable of anything more. As long as you grab for what makes you feel good or makes you look important, what are you really much different than a babe at the breast content only when everything's going your way? That's a gentle spirit if I've ever heard one, right? Maybe not. Actually, this makes me think of Dr. Phil. 
So Dr. Phil, I have to admit, it's fine if you're a Dr. Phil fan, um, but I never got into the show, never really watched it. I just knew he was that guy who was on Oprah, and then he got his own show for a while. But then this week, I heard that his show, after 21 years, is coming to an end. He'll probably do something else, but this show is coming to an end. So I was curious. I went down a little Dr. Phil Googling rabbit hole, and since the doors are locked, you have to go down that hole with me. So there we go. Back in 2002, this show started, and Dr. Phil McGraw has a doctorate in clinical psychology. He's a real psychiatrist, but he hasn't kept an active license since the 90s. And even in the 90s, his primary work wasn't with therapy, it was as a legal consultant. That's actually how Oprah met him. It was some lawsuit that she was involved in, and he was consulting it. But anyway, Dr. Phil has had this huge platform to give people advice and talk about their problems. Now, over these decades that he's been doing the show, some people have really praised Dr. Phil. Because there are ways, it's brought awareness to things like addiction and mental illness, and that's a good thing. But there are also a lot of groups who have been really critical of it because the show really clearly exploits and bullies people they bring on, including those with addictions and mental illness for the sake of entertainment. But whatever you think about Dr. Phil, or maybe you think nothing about Dr. Phil, his personality, it fits this certain category. It's like Judge Judy. These are the people that are truth talkers, right? They give it to you straight. They give tough love. Do you know what I mean? These are the people that just say it like it is, not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And a lot of people love those kind of personalities. So if you're not familiar, here's some quotes from Dr. Phil. His most famous one is up there. How's that working for you? You keep making these stupid choices in your life. How's that working for you? A lot of people do have tragic childhoods, but you know what? Get over it. This is my favorite. If someone out there doesn't agree with me, then somewhere a village is missing their idiot. And I don't really, I like that one. Yeah, you like it, Brian? Yeah, and, and then I don't know what this means. You can't put feathers on a dog and call it a chicken. But I like it. But whatever those things mean, this is part of the appeal of that kind of show. We like those zingers. We like it when people are called out. And then we get to pretend like we're sitting in Dr. Phil's chair and we say, stop cheating on your spouse. Stop drinking all the time. Stop behaving like a spoiled brat. Just turn your life around already. And so we think that these people deserve to be called out, and we can even feel good about it because it's supposed to be all for their own good. And then you know what else it does? It makes us feel better about our own problems. Because maybe you say to yourself, well, I might drink a little bit too much. I may have a little bit of a problem. But at least I have never snuck vodka onto television, then I was caught by Dr. Phil when he suspected something was up, and then he took my water bottle and he tasted it, and it was vodka, and I got called out on TV. So my drinking isn't really that bad, because I've never done that. So we can feel better about ourselves, looking at someone else's problems. But it's not just these reality TV personalities, it's also social media influencers, it's politicians that feed on this same urge, that cathartic impulse. Because you know what? It feels good to watch someone being torn down, doesn't it? Especially when we disagree with them. 
about something. When it's that person, that crazy person on the left or that crazy person on the right that that TikTok video is pointing out how stupid their argument is. We love that. Some people really love it when those fundamentalist Christians, they're pointing out for how blind and bigoted they are. And other people love it when it's those silly, naive, secular, humanist agnostics. They get pointed out for how ridiculous they are. It feels good when someone else tears them down. Now, when we look at Paul at this first part of the reading, you might think that that's what he's doing. He's being Dr. Phil here. Now, some of the Corinthians, they are feeling so much better than everyone else. They're feeling spiritually more mature than the average Christian. And so Paul says, you think you're mature? Really? Y'all are babies. I got news for you, you're spiritual infants. You thought you had a sophisticated palate and you're not even ready for solid food yet. But when we hear that today, who comes to mind? Who do you think Paul should be calling out today? Maybe we think that that word should be for those other Christians who give us a bad name. Or maybe we think that word, it should be those public figures who are so full of ego and they're arrogant and they don't even know what they're talking about and we wish someone would call them out for who they are. So take a passage like this and we start to cheer Paul on. You tell them, Paul. You tell them how stupid they are because we are not. We are some of the good ones. Right? We are some of the smart ones. We are part of the open-minded Christians. We're on team Peace Gehenna. We're on team ELCA. And that is exactly what Paul is calling out the Corinthians for doing. He says, you're all saying we're on team Paul or we're on team Apollos. And that's what Paul calls them out for. But he doesn't do it because he's so much better than them. You see, as soon as we start to think, well, at least we're not like those people, that means we're missing the point. So look at what Paul says in the second half of this reading. When one of you says, I'm on Paul's side, and another says, I'm for Apollos, aren't you being totally childish? Who do you think Paul is anyway? Or Apollos, for that matter? Servants, both of us. Servants who waited on you as you gradually learned to entrust your lives to our mutual master. We each carried out our servant assignment. I planted the seed, Apollos watered the plants, but God made you grow. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters who's at the center of this process, but God who makes things grow. Planting and watering are menial servant jobs at minimum wages. What makes them worth doing is the God we are serving. You happen to be God's field in which we are working. So Paul says to them basically, I'm not your hero, and neither is Apollos, and neither is anyone else that you're going to find and try to follow. You know what I did? I planted some seeds, and Apollos came along, he added some water, and you are the dirt, the field where God happens to be working. And none of our efforts on their own would mean a thing. It's only together and only with God bringing everything life in the first place that any of this matters and we actually get a crop in the end. Reminds me of all the lockdowns during COVID times. And we all still have these ideas of which careers are better than others and which 
people are more valuable in society than others. And then all of a sudden, we all heard this term, the essential workers. And we became aware of them. And we became aware that there were certain people that were not always the most highly paid or highly valued or highly educated. And it turns out our world stops. It doesn't function without them. Because we may not think of them as important, but God gave us all these different roles to play and each part matters. And sometimes we don't realize the impact that we have on others or that others have on us until much later on. I was thinking about my own life. So I grew up in this family that was marginally involved in church. I mean, we went to church regularly, but not that often. And we were in VBS every year and my mom did a yoga class, but for a while that was kind of it. But then I went to high school and this friend who went to that church told me about a church musical and he said, you should try it out. So I did. And then one of the adults in that musical, Joe Long, he heard that I played guitar and he said, hey, you should come and play guitar at this, with this praise team. And so I did. Now, Joe Long, some of you may know him because he has played here at Peace over the years a few times. And he happened to be at this Mission Start congregation where the Mission Start pastor was this young guy named Doug. Now, I never in my time there got to know young Pastor Doug because like a month later, he took a call somewhere in Gehenna, I think. I hear it went well for him, but I don't really know. But after getting involved in that praise team, a few years later, Joe left and I took over as worship leader. And then I took some religion classes while I was in college too, because I thought that fit and I loved those. And between working in the church and those classes, I thought, hey, maybe, maybe God is calling me to go to seminary and become a pastor. And all of that started because of an invitation from Joe. Now, I like Joe, but to be honest with you, he wasn't like a mentor for me. He wasn't one of those people that helped me think about my life and God and my future. I had other people come along later and do that. That wasn't Joe. He just invited me to play guitar, and God did the rest, and it absolutely changed the course of my life. When I looked throughout my life, God has had certain people that have planted seeds. He's had other people that have watered and nurtured those seeds, the mentors, the friends, and the role models. And some of those people have stayed a part of my life, and you know how it is, some of them have not, right? There are people that you know for a season and then you never see them again. But as I look back on my life, all of those people are part of who I am and how I've grown as a person. I'm sure if you just take a minute, maybe you're already doing it, reflect on your own life to see how that has happened. There have been people in your life that have planted seeds for you. And then there have been people who come along and water those seeds and nurture you and help you grow. And some people maybe have shaped you over a course of decades in a relationship. And then there are those people that you interact with one time in your life and that's it, but you'll never forget it. And maybe sometimes that even changes the course of your life because that's how God works. See, it's always God at work in this process. That's why we can trust whatever little parts we happen to be playing at the time, they all matter. So think about peace. As we're gathered here, it's like we are a field, right, to use Paul's image. We are a field and hopefully there are seeds being planted. Hopefully there are places where the soil is being watered and crops are growing and they're bearing fruit. And maybe when you come to worship, 
you're mostly getting watered. I hear that uh, we need to come and be fed, we need to come and grow, and that's fine. But you know what? Everywhere you go is another field where God is at work, not just the church. So right now, maybe you're getting water, but this afternoon, maybe you'll get a chance to do some watering as you talk to a friend who needs encouragement and you give it to them. And maybe the next day on Monday, you get the chance to plant some seeds for someone else when you offer a perspective to someone that's different than what they considered before. And then maybe the next day, someone is planting ideas, seeds in you that changes how you see the world and on and on it goes, right? It's not just one thing or the other. We all play these different roles at different moments in our lives. What's important to remember is that God is at the center of all of this process. And since God is good, no matter what parts we happen to be playing now and this afternoon and tomorrow, God who is good is always spreading love and life in us. Amen.